You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 910 of the Locked On Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Rowland. Coming to you deep into the night here on a Friday into Saturday morning, and the Atlanta Hawks fell by a final score of 116-92 to in Utah at the hands of the Jazz. It was a pretty ugly performance from the Hawks in a lot of different ways. They were competitive at times, but the overall product was not very good on this evening, and that is, of course, frustrating. Big picture, the Hawks lose this game to a team that's better than them on the road, but... You can't be down by 30, at one, as, which is what happened at one point in the second half, losing by 24 points. So a mixed bag in a lot of ways, and we'll dive into it as we always do on the podcast. Thank you for joining us. So before we get to the game itself, some injury updates that arrived uh, since our last podcast, both by Donovich and Chris Dunn have been updated. The Hawks, of course, released an initial diagnosis of, of, on Bogdanovich of an avulsion fracture in his right knee with associated soft tissue inflammation and a bone bruise. On Thursday, the news was actually relatively positive in that further analysis has confirmed no associated injury to knee ligaments for Bogdanovich. That's a small victory for the Hawks, and he's begun what they're determining as early-stage rehabilitation, but still no timetable for his return, and the, next, and the next update on him will arrive, quote, when he enters the next phase of his rehab, end quote. So uh, still sort of muddled on the timeline there, but relatively good news, at least in comparison to the previous news. And the Chris Dunn is now out of a walking boot, Good to see that for the Hawks. He got out of that on Thursday. He's now progressing to weight-bearing rehab and modified form shooting. He'll be reviewed again in two weeks, so he's not anywhere close just yet, but uh, another positive step in the grand scheme. So basically, the Hawks had a super clean injury report by recent standards in this game. Just Bogdanovich, Dunn, and Gallinari were out of action, plus Rondo was questionable, but he actually played in this game. So they were uh, close to full strength. In fact, they actually were able to have both Skylar Mays and Nathan Knight inactive in this game, saving one of their bullets. Those guys are only allowed to play, uh, sorry, be active for 50 games this season. So they actually went with 12 on this night and actually had uh, Knight and Mays inactive. So a small thing, but worth pointing out quickly here. Uh, and of course, the debut tonight of Onyeka Kongwu, probably the one, one of the bright spots of the evening, just the fact that he was able to get out there and play. Wasn't fantastic or anything. We'll come back to him later on, but he is now officially an NBA player on the on the floor, and for a lottery pick, that's good to see. So we will dive in now, as we do on the pod, to the game script and how it all went down. Um, out of the gate, it was a struggle, and for me, that kind of set the tone for a shaky night for Atlanta. So it was a ten to two run by the Jazz out of the gate. The Hawks scored two points in the first five possessions of the game. Mike Conley picking on Trey Young early on had eight points in a hurry. Trey was pretty shaky defensively to be kind in the first quarter, really the entire game for the most part. Um, Utah was also extending pressure all the way out in the court defensively on Trey Young, especially. That's something Lloyd Pierce mentioned in the aftermath of the game is that Utah, you know, it wasn't like it was a shock what they were doing, but the Jazz put real pressure on Trey, got the ball out of his hands. He was a relatively low usage player by his standards, and that really seemed to bother him throughout the game. We'll come back to that later on, but that was uh, sort of from the outset, the Jazz were putting pressure on the perimeter. Not only on Young, but it certainly seemed to affect him in some form or fashion. After a timeout, after that 10-2 run, the Hawks did score, and then they gave up uh, eight straight points on back-to-back threes and a dunk, and it was 18-4 for Atlanta. So, you know, you're down down 14 points in a hurry against a team that's, again, better than you and playing at home. That's not what you want to see. Now, the Hawks did, to their credit, kind of fight back 
get back in the game, but Atlanta never led in this contest. Uh, zero leads, zero ties. Um, yeah, just kind of struggled the out, through the, out, the entire portion of the game, frankly. But there was an 11-1 run by the Hawks. They played with more energy, some more pace in the first quarter after that initial um, wave by the Jazz. There was a nice pass from Young to Capella for a dunk. Then Cam Reddish had a good game tonight, had a steal and a dunk. He got out, got out in a transition. The Hawks just played faster in general. They brought in a Kongwu as the first big off the bench alongside Kevin Herter and Solomon Hill. Akongwu was definitely a rookie in this spot and uh, definitely a rookie that hasn't played in a long time. Pierce sort of said that without saying it in the postgame. Uh, I think he said it was something like it was tough to evaluate him, which is it's definitely true. It's sort of a lost game. It's his first game, and you don't want to overstate it. His first stint, though, he was definitely uh, overmatched. Uh, certainly some jitters seemed to be out there. Missed his first shot. Kind of moving screen call on him. Uh, the Hawks actually played some zone defensively in this game at different times. The first time was, was with uh, Akangamu on the floor for his first stint. So only played about two and a half minutes. Coming into the game, Pierce said that both Tony Snell and Akangamu were on minutes restrictions, so that it wasn't a huge surprise. He actually got up to 14 minutes. Because of the fact the Hawks were trailing so mad, so badly at the end of this game, he played he played even more than he probably was, probably was going to. But there you go on that. Good to see him on the court. Um, they brought in Rondo for his first action since December 30th. Rondo played uh, 19 minutes in this game. was not very good, necessarily. But, uh, you know, he's back. He, he, he should certainly help the Hawks in the grand scheme of things. But they allowed the, the lead to balloon back up to 10 by the end of the first quarter. The Hawks did not shoot the ball well the entire game. But that was definitely the case out of the gate here. And only three assists in the entire first quarter, which is usually a bad sign for you. Um, overall, Kevin Herter was a bright spot off the bench. He had six points when he came into the game. The Jazz just shot the ball better had some offensive rebounds, and took control of the game as a result. Um, early in the second quarter, I thought DeAndre Hunter had a, nice, had a nice stint. Hunter was solid enough in this game, but he had six points in about a three-minute stretch early in the second quarter to kind of help the Hawks stay close. The Hawks actually used a Rondo Goodwin backcourt at one point in the second quarter. Now, I don't love that even with this, with, with what I'm about to say. The only reason why this makes a little bit of sense to me is that the Hawks are shorthanded right now without Bogdanovich and Dunn. So they really are kind of one wing short right now, especially with Tony Snell still working his way back. I think Tony Snell at full strength is a better player than Goodwin, so you want to probably lean on that a little bit more. But in the competitive portion of the game, they're not ready to go to Snell just yet, and Goodwin's been playing relatively well. But I don't love that Ronda Goodwin alignment much, and they they actually played that a couple times in this game, especially in the second quarter. And then actually when Rondo came out, it was Trey Young and Goodwin back in the game. So Goodwin's kind of in the fourth wing, for the Hawks, um, at least in the recent past at times, and uh, that's kind of worth at least monitoring in the future. Um, also, Hunter had a, had a good stretch there, as I said before, and he came out of the game. You know, I'm not a big rotation, like, lose your mind kind of guy, but I think that was kind of a rough substitution from Lloyd Pierce. I would have let Hunter keep cooking a little bit there. I mean, he was probably due to come out, but that's one of those times where he had, he had it really going, and the Hawks were kind of scuffling overall. I would have liked to see him stay in the game a little bit longer offensively. He did have to sit at some point, but probably didn't need to be right then. So that's something that I wanted to point out. Um, they brought a Kongwu back in for his second stint of the game. He had he missed a mid, he missed a mid-range jump shot, but he took it with, with confidence and then got a shot blocked by Rudy Gobert. Sort of that welcome to the NBA moment with Rudy, who is of course the best rim protector in the league. Um, kind of swatted a Kongwu like, like he wasn't even standing there, which is very interesting to see. But the Hawks opened up 0 of 9 from 3. Trey Young was 0 of 7 from the floor. They just could not make shots for the first, like, quarter and a half. And really the entire game, but that was kind of the uh, the theme of the first, you know, 18, 20 minutes of this contest that the Hawks just could not make shots. Atlanta did cut it down to 5, though, at 45 to 40, with about 4 and a half minutes to go in the first half. But from there, 
the entire rest of the game, basically, Utah was the was the right side, obviously. Uh, 16 to six run by the Jazz to close the half to go up by 15. So it went from five to 15 there. At the halftime break, Utah was nine of 23 from three. In the second half, they were, uh, you know, just as good or better. They were actually 11 of 21 in the second half. So a barrage of threes. But honestly, I have someone that will point out, like, the other a couple of times during this latest run, like the Charlotte game in particular, was just some shooting luck. In this game, the Hawks side was some shooting luck. They missed a lot of shots that they probably should make. Utah just made shots that they were supposed to make. The Hawks defensively were not good in this game. Lots of lots and lots of missed rotations, missed assignments. Pierce talked about losing containment and the fact that they were, that was sort of a point of emphasis is the way that he talked about it. And they fail at basically doing that. And Utah is so well coached and well schooled offensively. They're very talented and they have shooters. And yes, they were a little bit hot. Uh, Donovan Mitchell, six of 10 from three. That's not necessarily what you would expect, but the Hawks gave up a lot of open shots. Utah made them. And, uh, you know, Maybe a little bit of that is luck, but most of it was just the fact that the Hawks just played bad defense in this game, at least in terms of containing three-point shots. So down 15 at the half, you're in big trouble. Obviously, the Hawks won't shoot 1 of 12 from 3 that often, uh, and they were having some nice um, contributions from the young guys like Herter and Hunter and Reddish in the first half, but Trey Young had two points at the half. Um, the Hawks had about a 90 offensive rating, and they just kind of really struggled offensively um, before halftime, and then it sort of continued. But there was one more good stretch at the beginning of the third quarter, which we'll get to momentarily. But first, a word from our sponsors on today's podcast, and the first of which is betonline.ag. The NBA season is here. College basketball is in full swing, and the NFL playoffs are happening right now. And with that in mind, there's only one place that has you covered, one place that we trust, and that place is betonline.ag. You can sign up today for a free account at betonline.ag. Use the promo code LOCKEDON for 50% welcome bonus with the site. On top of the NBA getting geared up as the regular season continues with great matchups on a nightly basis, there is a jam-packed slate of college basketball games almost every night. And from there, all eyes are on the NFL playoffs with the league's biggest stars in action in the upcoming divisional round set to trim the remaining teams from 8 down to 4. If none of that gets you going, there's a full menu of offerings for BetOnline.ag at any sport you can think of. And BetOnline also has a huge menu of player props as well as live wagering, a ton of future bets, and exotic offerings. Do not sit on the sidelines anymore. Instead, get in on the action and don't forget to use the promo code Locked On to receive that 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit with BetOnline.ag. One more time, that is promo code Locked On for 50% welcome bonus with the site BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. All right, so we'll dive into the second half of the contest, and uh, it was pretty brutal as the score indicates. But like I said before the break, the Hawks did have one more punch left in them. It was with a uh, a very strong run to open the second half, so it was actually an 11-0 run. Coming out of the gate, Young missed his floater, and he still doesn't have that shot for whatever reason. He's been so good at that shot the first two years. It's just kind of left him right now, which is a concern, certainly. But got to the line on the next possession, and then Reddish hit a three, and then Young found Capella for a dunk to force a timeout. And then after that, Capella had four more points in a row, running really hard, actually. A dead sprint down the court, beating Gobert, and Young found him for a dunk. So that was a good a good run for Atlanta. And again, 11-0 run, and suddenly the Hawks were within four. Now you have to lose. You have to use a lot of energy to get back with that to get sort of put that run together, and from that point forward, it was all jazz. But that was the one brief respite for Atlanta in the second half. Utah sort of steadily built the lead back to 11. The Hawks called timeout with six minutes left. It was a 19 to seven overall run though from that point, um, from down four basically to up 16. And then it was mostly over. There was one more mini punch where the Hawks did score eight, eight straight points at the end, near the end of the third with Rondo on the floor taking over for Trey. They played some zone in that stretch effectively. Uh, they didn't use a Congo actually at all in the third. It was actually eight-man rotation until the final seconds when Goodwin came in. So the Hawks definitely tried to push and win this game in the third quarter. But then the Jazz scored the last five 
of the third um, to get, go back up to 13 defensively. Uh, it actually was not too bad in the third. The, the offense kind of let kind of let them go. And uh, yeah, I mean, 11 free throw attempts, all that stuff. And then the final bloke basically came in the, at the beginning of the fourth quarter. A 21-0 run by the Jazz between the end of the third and the beginning of the fourth quarter. They scored the first 16 points of the fourth. And, uh, you know, when that happens, it's all over. You're down 29 with nine minutes to go. From that point forward, it was the benches clearing. Okongwu had a nice uh, highlight follow-up dunk for his second bucket of his NBA career, which is good to see. But everyone that was active got into the game late. Tony Snell played. Um, Goodwin was actually, um, you know, did not, did not um, have a field goal in this game. Rondo, did, Rondo came back in for one more stint for Bruno Fernando guy in the game. So it was all garbage time. And, uh, yeah, you can imagine that it was not as lopsided as it could have been. Honestly, they were down by 30. The Jazz pulled back. But, um, yeah, a rough ending to the game for Atlanta. So takeaways-wise, obviously, this is a bad loss. Um, like I said before at the top of the podcast, it's defensible to lose this game. The Hawks were not the favorite BetOnline.ag, our friends over there, had the Jazz as a six-point favorite at home. So that tells you the Hawks are supposed to lose this game, but not not like this. They got bludgeoned in a way that they did not need to get bludgeoned in this spot. I know it's sort of a weird situation where they had to fly and you know not play and have this weird thing in between, but that's that's more of an excuse. Like that's not you can't come out and play the way they did in this game. And off, it was all offense. I mean, defensively, the Hawks did not play well in this game. They allowed too many threes, as I said before. But at the end of the game. The Jazz had about a 112 offensive rating. That is not good defense, especially against, you know, the Jazz are a good offensive team. And it was a little bit better than that before the end of the game, but it was probably in the high 110s, which again is not good, but it's not like absolutely disastrous. The Hawks scored fewer than 0.9 points per possession in this game. So this is really an offensive loss. And the Hawks are an offense first team. And in this game, a couple guys had it going, like Reddish played well, but it was not a situation where the Hawks had their offense going at any point. The shooting is what it is, but Atlanta shoots 5 of 28 from 3. You know, that's that's brutal. Obviously, you know, you're not going to always miss all of the shots, but the, qual- the quality was not incredible in this game. You had some guys that are not necessarily the best shooters taking a couple of those. So that's one thing. They took 15 free throws. That's not nearly enough for a team that needs to get to the free throw line. I know they held the Jazz to 14, so they actually took more than their opponent. But the Hawks need to get to the line more than, four- more than 15 times in a game. They had 21 assists, which is not very good. 15 turnovers lead to 27 points for the Jazz. That's tough. Um, that, the Hawks actually did have more points in the paint, but that was basically the only advantage. That Really, that was because the Jazz had so many threes. So, you know, defensively, you could say that the Hawks were a little bit better than you might think, but offensively, you just cannot be as bad as they were in this game, shot-making-wise, execution-wise. Um, you know, Trey Young, we'll talk about him in a second, but he was very bad in this game. He was, he was not alone. But even the guys who had good numbers, like Capella had a double-double in this game, was efficient uh, as a scorer, but wasn't particularly good if you watch the game. Um, you know, there are a couple guys I thought played decently well, but on the whole, most guys did not, and the Hawks just did not have what they needed to have in this game. I don't want to overstate it necessarily. Like, there was the typical calls for Lloyd Pierce's job after this one and all that stuff. I don't think he was helping them much in this game. Like I said, like I said before, the Hunter decision in the third quarter, all that stuff. And at some point, even people that are level-headed like I try to be have to point out that Lloyd Pierce, you know, there are, there are often some motivational questions, I will say. You, know, you never know from the outside, but the Hawks have too many of these spots where they come out of the gates slow, like today. That's one of those things that gets put on the coach, whether it should or not is something different, but it certainly gets put on the coach when you come out and you're down 18-4 to four before you blink. 
Now, there's a credit to be given to him for getting them uh, out of the out of the locker room in a positive way. The third quarter has always been a bugaboo for the Hawks in the last couple of years, and they played really well coming out of the coming out of the halftime break. But you're down 15 when you do that, and that's just a tough ask. So, you know, across the board, no one other than Cam Reddish probably had like a strongly above average game by their standards. And then you go get in the guys who struggle really badly, and that's how you lose a game this poorly. So, there you go on that. Not, not a whole lot of insight from me other than the Hawks just did not play well in this game. Uh, we'll have time for broad takeaways. It's, you know, it's 1 a.m. when I'm recording this and all that stuff. But uh, a bad loss, full stop. And if they do not play better than this on Saturday, they're not going to win or even compete. So Because Portland is not incredible, but it's the second round of a back-to-back. You have to travel to Portland. Tough, a tough road trip on the whole in general. And the Hawks have to be better or they will not compete in that game. Uh, before we get to the individual takeaways, as we always do on the podcast, a word from our sponsors. All right, we'll dive into the players as we always do at the end of the podcast, and the bench was a problem in this game. Uh, Kevin Herter played well, at least well enough to, you know, function offensively. He did miss all four of his threes, which is which is tough for Kevin. But until pretty late in this game, he was the only Hawk off the bench that had a field goal of any kind. So that that obviously changed in the fourth quarter. But he was at least solid enough. He's the headliner on the bench with ten points, two assists. Again. He went five of seven on twos. That's pretty good to see from him. He had a couple of nice mid rangers. He had a, he had he had one sort of full court uh, attack of the rim that was that was encouraging from Kevin. And he'll make shots. I'm not worried about his three point shooting. So I thought he was okay. Uh, everybody else not as much. Tony Snell nine minutes all garbage time three points. He was okay, but it was all garbage time. Brandon Goodwin struggled in this game. 0 of six from the floor. 0 of five from three. Got to the line six times. So if the Hawks did not have Goodwin to get to the line, they would not have got to the line much at all in this game. Did have three assists. He was better than the numbers indicate, but not not particularly good. I thought Rondo was pretty shaky, uh, especially defensively in the first half. He really struggled keeping guys in front of him. He was he was on the court for that 8-0 run in the third quarter, which helped his plus minus bump. But uh, he's definitely not himself necessarily all the way back right now. More, more turnovers and assists, and defensively just not very good. In the spot, Solomon Hill was okay, but missed all three of his threes. He's going to have to make some shots, obviously. Two points, six rebounds, and two assists. A Kongwu, like I mentioned before, in the first half, a bit of a struggle. He was more he was more conf- more confident, more comfortable after halftime. And I will echo Pierce. Like people, <laughs> I saw some panic about Kongwu after this game. It's like guys, he's not played basketball in almost a year. I don't worry at all about that. Like he's a young big in a small role. I thought it was in- interesting and noteworthy. That he was the first pick off the bench for for the Hawks in this game, so immediately, even without really many reps at all, ahead of Bruno, well, that's not a huge surprise. Obviously, he's more of a priority, but they just did it. They threw they threw him in the deep end of this game. He played some real minutes. He was okay and had some nice flash in the second half, like especially that tip dunk at the end. And then Fernando played four minutes in garbage time. Nothing else to say about that. Up to the starters. On the bright side, Cam Reddish, twenty points, five rebounds for Cam. I thought he was good. Honestly, Pierce talked about him sort of playing under control, taking what was given to him, and I would echo that offensively. You know, there's always some nights where King gets a little bit over his skis at times offensively. This is not one of those games. He had maybe one or two, but he was eight of thirteen from the floor, four or five from three, five rebounds. Like I know I know he was minus thirty-four, which is the worst in the game, but he was that was not that was not him. He played fine. He played well offensively. He he's sort of I would say above average for him. Shot making is just what it is. Like he's not always going to shoot the ball that well. But I thought. Well, by the way, he had another, he had another big dunk. Um, he's had two of those in the last week or so, where he's really kind of exploded to the rim. And I've been critical. Well, he's not critical. I wouldn't say critical, but I've been questionable of his 
explosiveness at the rim at times because of how weak his finishing sometimes is. He's obviously a good athlete in space in terms of like twitchy stuff and quickness, but like vertically, he's always kind of struggled, at least compared to the baseline people have for him. But a couple of really nice explosive dunks. I'm not sure if he's just gotten more explosive and stronger, which I'm sure he has as he's going into his body, but a couple of encouraging plays um, from him in the open court. So a generally positive night for Cam. Uh, that's good to see. Capella, like I said before, had the numbers, 16 points, 11 rebounds, 8 of 9 from the floor, so efficient and productive. I thought he was uh, not good in the first half in particular. I thought Gobert really, really kind of bludgeoned him. 15 points and 13 rebounds for Gobert in limited deployment, but I thought it was pretty clear he was struggling. There was that nice kick in the third quarter with Capella. I think he had 6 points in about a 3-minute stretch, so that really helped his numbers in this game. I don't think he was, I don't think he was very good, but there have been little flashes, and rebounding has definitely been there, so he could have been worse for sure. John Collins, which is kind of okay, had, had two steals, which is good to see, 13, 13, 13 points, I should say, four rebounds, two assists, a couple, couple good post-ups. He was 0-3 from three as well, joining the parade of guys who just, who just could not make a jump shot in this game. I thought John was fine. It wasn't his best nor his worst, necessarily, just somewhere in the middle, maybe a little bit below average, but not, nothing terrible by his standards. And then DeAndre Hunter was solid, too, 14 points. You know, it was mostly that third-quarter push, Sorry, second quarter push from Hunter with six points in a row there, but he didn't have a jump shot working either necessarily, at least the three-pointer, 0-3. So, again, he was fine. Not good, but fine. And then, lastly, you have to talk about Trey Young. So, it's interesting to me that so far this season, it's basically been the Hawks go as Trey goes, which is not exactly a surprise. He is their best player. He is a you know upper-tier offensive creator in the entire NBA. And when he's not playing well, it's going to be hard for the Hawks to score points effectively and efficiently. That is especially the case right now without Gallinari and Bogdanovich, who I would have said coming into the season were their third and fourth best offensive players behind Young and Collins. So that definitely matters. That context is definitely important. But Trey was just bad in this game. Like, it doesn't mean he's bad long term. Somebody asked, I think it was Josh Eberle, um, tweeted this out during the game, kind of, are we worried about Trey yet? And I, I just said flatly, no. I'm, I'm not worried about Trey Young. Trey Young's going to be good. In the near future, he was good on Monday. So it's like it's been that long since he's been good. But on the whole, the last couple of weeks, it's been kind of a struggle for Trey. The numbers obviously speak for themselves in this game. He was 1 of 11 from the floor, which is always bad. Uh, 0 of 2 from 3, 2 of 2 from the free throw line. Did have 7 assists, a, a steal, 4 rebounds, but only 4 points in 24 minutes. You know, he just was kind of passive. Not as bad as the Charlotte game passive, but the floaters kind of deserted him right now, as I said before. The finishing's been, you know, hit and miss. Three-point shooting was not necessarily aggressive here. Only didn't only drew the one foul, um, the one foul in this game. So, just bad. And then defensively, I mean, it was truly awful in the first quarter. I will say that there was a nice stretch in the second quarter. Where we actually made a couple plays defensively. Had a block and a steal during that time, and they kind of regressed after that. So, listen, it's going to happen. Guys are going to have bad nights, but he's having more bad than good nights right now. Which is the Hawks just can't afford it. It's just it's a reminder of how important and how good he is when he's on that the Hawks are not going to be able to win, particularly against a team like Utah. It's a tough ask to have the Hawks go on the road and beat, or at least even compete with, the Jazz if Trey's going to play this badly. So it's kind of a situation where, I want to be clear, it was not only Trey struggling in this game. If Trey had played like a solid game, the Hawks would have lost. If Trey had been unbelievably good, maybe they would have had a chance. But it's not like it was only him. Guys struggled up and down the roster, but... I can tell you right now, if Trey Young plays and is not injured and has four points on one of 11 shooting, the Hawks are in trouble against most anybody, unless there's something weird happening somewhere else. So it's kind of both. 
Um, they're going to be obviously their ceiling raises along alongside Trey. Their floor lowers alongside Trey with kind of the way that he plays. So there you go on that and end on that one because of course he's the best player and that's what happens if you struggle. Uh, there's pressure and the guys that hear it most are the best player and the head coach. That's usually what happens here. So we'll see what happens uh, on Saturday. Pierce sort of pivoted to Saturday a little bit at the end of his comments, his remarks to the media after the game on Friday night. And uh, it's a tough task. I mean, they, he didn't like their containment in this game. And the challenge is more difficult. It's what he was talking about with having to deal with Dame Lillard. And CJ McCall has been on fire this season for Portland. So a tough task. The Hawks will be underdogs on Saturday, barring some weirdness that I'm not aware of with injuries. So uh, a tough one. We'll have a new podcast at some point after that game. It'll probably be not up until Sunday morning, you know, late in the night. on Because the game is actually a 10 o'clock start. This is a 9 o'clock start in Utah. Now it's 10 in Portland. So the pod will be up, you know, one or two in the morning, something like that, on Sunday. That'll, that'll be the Monday show. And then we have a Monday afternoon basketball game on MLK in the building uh, at State Farm Arena. So busy weekend, to be sure. And uh, I know that's a home game, but the third game in like, you know, 60 hours for the Hawks on Monday. So that might be, might be, it might be tough sledding in terms of the schedule as well. So, yeah, a tough one for Atlanta. Big picture, they're five and six. They probably should be like seven and four. So that's not what you want. You you don't want to be below the pace early on, but uh, you know, still time to get up to sort of compete on Saturday if they can put together a good performance. That'll do it for me on this fine evening. Please subscribe to the podcast. Hopefully, I was at least somewhat coherent this evening. As uh, tomorrow will be even more of a challenge. As I, it's been a long week. I'll just say that just personally, it's been a long week. No excuses. It's what we do. We're grinding here. And uh, please subscribe. Talk to your friends about the podcast. Rate, review, and all that good stuff, and we'll see you after the game on Saturday.